0: Let's open in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together in your house this morning to praise you, to study your word, to examine our hearts. Lord, help us focus this morning on your will uh, for the time and place in which we live, that in spite of this election season and all sorts of other distractions and, and illnesses and all the other distractions of living, Lord, help us to focus on you, to remember, as we studied this morning, that you are still in charge, that although sometimes our satisfaction is delayed, that we know that ultimately you will prevail and those who are yours will be secured. Thank you, Father, for this time together to study and worship together. It's In Jesus' name, I pray. This morning, we're going to look at uh, one of the minor prophets. Uh they're minor because they're not very big in as far as how many pages and words they use, uh, but not minor in the sense of what they had to say. This particular prophet is goes by the name of Habakkuk. And he has the title prophet, which I think only three of the prophets are actually called prophet in the book about them, or the book they wrote, which is interesting. So this would imply that he was considered a prophet uh, as the time he wrote it, not later as the result of what uh, the Lord had revealed to him, which is interesting. But his problem was his concern as a as a as a man seeking after God's heart, and we don't know much about him. The structure of the book of Habakkuk is one where it's in mostly poetic form. Uh, the particular version of the Bible. I use, uh, the NASB usually takes things that are poetic in form and writes them in indented nature so that the reader can tell by reading it that it's poetic because it's not. it doesn't rhyme, especially since it's written in Hebrew, it wouldn't rhyme in English anyway, but it didn't necessarily rhyme anyway, but there's a poet, poet, poets, poet poems are uh, a, a type of, of uh, writing and, and they're defined by certain, things that makes them poetry and that rhyming is not one of those things. So this is poetic and it also has notations like the Psalms which imply that it may have been set to music or perhaps it was read and then had musical interludes to it which implies that Habakkuk was part of the temple and perhaps even a musician himself. But he has the title prophet and that's interesting. Now I got to Habakkuk by virtue of having to been reading Amos, totally unrelated, except that I like to know when I read anything, really, uh, history or particularly Scripture, I, I'm always concerned with why, the question of why. And when reading, I was reading Amos, he was concerned about some things, and what fascinated me was reading about what was going on at the time of his life, which is pretty close to Habakkuk which led me to Habakkuk, but he was concerned about things that were taking place in his culture that were unseemly, that were not right. And when I read Habakkuk, I felt like I wanted to bring this to this body, not particularly for anything that's going on here, but for the time in which we live. And he's living in a corrupt culture. And this is a political season, and there's all kinds of talk about this candidate and that candidate, watching the ad saying this guy is, you know, kills babies and and shoots people, and no, here he's virtuous, he's right, and it's like back-to-back commercials, you know, it's like your head spins. And so this is not a political nature, but we live in a very confused time where all sorts of, clearly anybody, you don't have to be a Christian to see there's lots of wrong in the world. There's lots of Sinful behavior. There's injustice. There's people ripping other people off. Yeah, you. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times, multiple times, I've had my 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 uh, credit card you know, changed because somebody's ripped it off in some fashion. You know, it hasn't. It, they they cover it, so it's not like a financial loss. But people are stealing, and and Habakkuk was concerned about something similar. In his day, the problem was his own country. Who at this particular time was the tribe of it was primarily a tribe of judah it was the southern kingdom the northern kingdom had already been carted off judged by god and 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 carted off by the assyrians and judah was not much better and his heart is broken for his people he sees injustice he sees unrighteousness he sees vile practices and he's complaining about it to god now, the first, the first verse, Habakkuk 1.1, is really brief. It says, uh, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now, this was a vision he was given by God. Now, it doesn't say how he had this vision or how it took place, but the, the way this narrative flows, it's only three chapters, the way it flows, it's a, it seems like to me, I'm just guessing, that Habakkuk had a burden on his heart. And it says he has a burden. But he had a burden on his heart, and he had voiced it to God, and by the virtue of God's grace, God answered him. And the answer did not settle well with him, because it was not what he wanted to hear. And so he, he then came with uh, another complaint to God, and God answered that one. And then the conclusion is really what I want to, to point to most dramatically, because the conclusion he comes to is one that we all must be willing to face because we never know what our future physically on earth individually is going to bring. We know ultimately what's going to bring, but none of us know what tomorrow brings for us individually. So let's look at what he was concerned about. One, uh, his, Habakkuk's concern, and it's verses uh, 2 to 4. One, one of the, the authors which I was using to study called this a volcanic complaint which I thought was fascinating. Um, But it's really a rhetorical complaint. And and in Hebrew liturgy, this is not unusual. People that are people of God complain about injustice and unrighteousness and the things we all encounter as part of living in a culture that's not Christian. Um, So it's really... uh, uh, not unusual in scripture it's not something he went out of his way to complain to god but he lifts he lifts up his heart before god and god honors him in this but this is what he said how long O lord will i call for help and will you not hear i cry out to you violence yet you do not save. why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Does that sound like our political system today? Do we not live in a time just like these? Therefore, the law is ignored. The word therefore ignored is is the word that means paralyzed, becomes cool, is numbed. In other words, the law has no effect. And justice is never upheld. That word is interesting. It means bent out of shape. Justice becomes injustice in its administered under the rules and laws of men. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Does this not sound a little like the time in which we live? A lot, doesn't it? Things just never seem to change, do they? So Habakkuk's concern was profound and honest, and his heart poured out before the Lord. A a quote came to me this morning that was sort of out of the blue, so I decided to write it down, and I wanted to make sure that I got it right. And I didn't really, I wasn't even sure, I thought it was James Madison, but it was actually John Adams. John Adams uh, said this in the late 1700s after his two terms of president, also the author, one of the three authors of the Declaration of Independence, a founding father, uh, a tremendous, and a, and, a, and, a, and a Christian, a man of God. He said this about our Constitution. This is really important because of the time and place of who we are as American people. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So if you see unrighteousness and uh, discrepancies as far as what is right and what is wrong, coming out of the system in which we made, it's because we are not the people who are suitable for it to manage as a large group. That's unfortunately true. So our complaints here that Habakkuk had could well apply to us as we see things like abortion and uh, the violation of of the court system to let people off and convict other people on little evidence, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, Things that don't go They go unpunished that should be punished and they're they're permitted, that ought not be permitted and made special that ought not even be mentioned. I'm not going to go into those details, but you probably can fill in the blanks if you're an adult. So the problem then that Habakkuk had is is an honest one. He poured his heart out before the Lord. But what's astounding here is the Lord's answer. And to say that it unsettled Habakkuk, uh, would be an, ex- an exaggeration, not an exaggeration, because it stunned him. This is what the Lord had to say. Look. Now, the interesting thing about this is, is it doesn't say God said, but in Hebrew, this the, the, the form of speech here is you look. It's God talking. You look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if I told you. Habakkuk had a myopic view. He had this thing where he was, it was all about him. And, gee, that's a strange thing to have. But there is a big picture. And we typically have a myopic view. It's human nature. We think of things from our perspective, and God is going to give Habakkuk his perspective. Not all of it, but enough of it for him to know that there is something going on. And it's coming, so happens, in his day. Now, when is Habakkuk's day? We don't know for sure, because it's not dated. But it's sometime in the early 600s B.C., because as you're going to see, there's a people group here that's rising up. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate within themselves. They are a great and powerful, mighty nation, and it is the nation of Babylon. And one of its most famous and most uh, brutal as far as conquering dictators was Nebuchadnezzar. And if you've read the book of Daniel, Daniel lived through this time. Daniel was one in the tribe of Judah that was carted away when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping, their horsemen come from afar, they fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. devour. All of them come for violence, their horde of faces moves forward. did imagine that. This people are described as a horde of faces marching forward. They fly like an eagle, swooping down, It said, Swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings, and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. The Babylonians were an ancient nation, according to Jeremiah 15. Babylon itself only existed for less than 100 years as an empire. It started approximately 612 when it was able to conquer Assyria, the, the, the brutal, aggressive empire that had conquered the northern, tri- the northern kingdom of Israel and carted them off. But Judah was spared during that one. But now Nebuchadnezzar rises and takes place, and in 605 Nebuchadnezzar defeated the Egyptian army at the Battle of Carchemish, which is a famous ancient history monument time point, which is not important, but that was actually, uh, Egypt had attacked uh, Babylon to sort of set them back and suffered a tremendous defeat. And then shortly and eventually, Judah itself was conquered. But that's what God says. You want justice? I'll take care of the injustice in Judah. I'm going to destroy Judah and allow the Chaldeans, the the, the Babylonians, to do it. Now, can you imagine your prayer being answered in that fashion? You want justice? And justice is to see your, your country destroyed? What if we were praying for justice as Christians in our, in, in our day? Put this in perspective of the time we live. We live in a time of incredible injustice. We cry out for justice, and what if the answer was the Chinese would utterly and obliterate your, 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 your country and going to cart you off to, to Beijing to serve as slaves? What if that was God's answer? Put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes now that he's hearing what God is going to do. You ask, for ju- you ask for justice, you're going to get justice. You're going to be judged for your injustice. And I'm going to use these people to do it. Rather harsh, isn't it? How bad were these people? This scripture is not up here, but I'm, let me, let me just, just look at this. Uh, I've marked it, so hopefully it'll pop right up. This is uh, from chapter 25 of Second Kings. This is the moment when the Babylonians take Jerusalem. Uh, it mentions here in verse 10 that they laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. In ancient war, uh, ancient times, cities were walled. A city of substance was walled, and a wall would keep out enemies. And if a larger, more powerful people group came and they would surround a fortress, they would try to starve them out. They would sling dead animals over the walls to rot in there, and this was a nasty thing. But eventually, if you had enough time and resources, you would get tired of waiting for the other people to starve, and you would try to break the wall down. So they would build up a ramp that they could get a tower on to get up to the level of the wall, and they would clear the wall off and hopefully break it down and get over it because the wall's weaker on top than it is on the base. But the other technique was to, to dig a hole under the wall. And that they would get under the wall itself where it's really heavy and big and put wooden supports to hold it up. Then they would stuff that gigantic hole they made with dried brush and all kinds of stuff, twigs and, and, and logs, and they would light it on fire. And it would consume the wood that was holding it up, and the wall itself would collapse, and the enemy would come through the hole. Uh, this was the kind of warfare of the day of Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 25 reads this. I'm going to read the first uh, seven verses. Give you a flavor for the Babylonians. Now in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. He and all his army against Jerusalem, camped against it, and built a siege wall around it. So the city was under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. And the city was broken into And all the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden through the Chaldeans, those all the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went by way of Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and he passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put his eyes out, put the eyes out of Zedekiah, and bound him with bronze fetters, and brought him to Babylon. They killed his sons in front of him, and made that the last thing he'll ever see, and carted him off to Babylon. This is the judgment and the answer to the prayer of Habakkuk. The complaint of Habakkuk was going to be extraordinarily harsh. Now, if I was Habakkuk, I would probably have something to say about that. And guess what? Habakkuk does. So, his question is a good one. I'll summarize it before I read it. Why are you going to allow somebody who's even worse than us judge us? Here's how he he quotes it. Uh, This is verses 12 through 21. Are you not from everlasting? Now this question is not a rhetorical question in a sense that he knows the answer. Of course he is. This is a man of God. He knows it's true. So he's appealing to God as the one true God. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Have you ever wondered that yourself? Why do good people suffer? And I say good in, in, in a small sense, but none of us are good, none of us are righteous, no, not one. One but have you ever wondered why Christians are not always victorious in life, or things don't always go our way? Uh, Habakkuk is wondering that, but you know, this is one of the things about the Lord. He doesn't grade on the curve, <laughs> and so the fact that Habakkuk is asking for God to grade on the curve, it's not quite accurate in what you should do. In other words, People think that God grades on the curve, and that if you're better than those guys, you're going to be okay when God's judgment comes. But that's not true. Apart from the shed blood of Christ, and you're receiving that with an open hand, you are no better than they. You are no better than Nebuchadnezzar's henchmen. We're all the same. Uh, Habakkuk is the same. There is no better than or worse than. We're all rotten. And apart from the grace of God, all of us are going to hell. We're all going to be judged like Babylon's going to be judged, apart from that grace. So there is no curve. The curve is an invention of man's mind. Elevating ourselves above somebody else we see is worse. It's human nature. We've all done it. I know I have. And I know that I'm not particularly special. Nancy will tell you that. So um, just so you know. Why have you made men like fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? God appointed governments to rule the affairs of men. And Paul tells us clearly, I think it's Romans chapter 13, that we are supposed to obey our government. That governments are allowed by God to judge the affairs of men. And inside of that, this is important as well, justice should be served. Every government that's ever... Existed, has a code of laws and justice. Babylon, which is ancient, we talked about this in Sunday school, when he goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, and the foundation of the religions of the world come out of Bab- the early Babylon, the Tower of Babel. It's a too, too too long and too deep to go into now. But the point is that, that this idea of people complaining about their government not being efficient in justice is common. In the ancient world, as it is in our world today, because governments have never been consistent about protecting the little guy. There's always the little guy getting left out. There's always, and it was it, reading from Amos, he was a farmer and a keeper of of flocks, and he saw injustice and unrighteousness, and the little guy was always getting the, not dealt with fairly it that way. I had another word It's not probably appropriate. Uh, and and the, the fact is that this complaint is common and universal to ma- human experience. So governments are supposed to manage the affairs of their people, and so far as they do not violate the laws of the living God, we are to be obedient to them. And it's not a law, but it is a responsibility for you to vote. As a citizen of the United States, if, you're, if you are a voting age, you need to go vote. That's a commercial. Because it's your responsibility as a good citizen and obedient to your government. All right, enough of that. The Chaldeans bring, up, uh, bring them all up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to, their net and burn incense to their fishing net because through these things they catch their catches lard and their food is plentiful. In ancient days, when you captured people, you used their resources, carted off their people, and used them as slaves. That's what they did. And so they would allow them to do the menial work and they would live off the fat of the land. They may enrich themselves by the work of others. This is this was the practice. This is what happened to Judah. This is what happened to the northern kings of Israel when they were carted off by the Assyrians. The Assyrians generally took people from one place and moved them somewhere else and replaced those people with the people they did there and put them in another place. That way they divided people all over the place so they could never reunite to fight them back again. Pretty smart. Babylon wasn't quite that messed up. They just drug them back and made them slaves, which would be back to Babylon. That's where Daniel ends up in, in Babylon, for example. But they round up people like fish being rounded up in nets and carted them off for their, for, their, for their empowerment and wealth. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? These people are evil. They're wicked. How long are you going to allow them to do that, God? It's the second complaint. But here's how he ends. This is where you see a man of God asking tough questions of God and realizing that his questions are in error. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Here's a man of God who knows he's asking questions. He knows he's flawed, but he asks them anyway of his father. And he knows that his father will answer. And he's going to reprove him. And he's willing to accept the reproval. That's an attitude of a servant of the living God. Knowing that you're wrong and willing to accept correction. The the image here of standing a guard post looking on the walls is a military guard watching for something coming. Uh, Justice will be done. Uh, This is God's answer. And this is a form, a poetic form. It's known as a taunt song in in uh, literature. Common in ancient times, it was basically trash-talking. And uh, it's not really trash-talking because if you back it up, it's not trash. (laughs) It's telling the truth. And it occurred to me that of all the great trash-talkers of of my my age was uh, Cassius Clay or Muhammad Ali. He was great at it. He was always telling you what he was going to do to his opponent, and he usually did it. So it wasn't trash talking when he did, it. he backed it up. going to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Uh, a fascinating character, but this is what k- kings would do. They would, they would create these taunts. And they, in, in battle, they would taunt each other, yell on the cross back and forth until they'd fight. We're going to carry you guys up, you know, Back same as a basketball court. Um, but the idea is that this is God speaking. <laughs> you know, this is not a, a, a boast. This is a fact. Uh, and I'm going to read sections section of this because it's a long section and I don't want you to keep you here until 4 o'clock. The Lord answered me and said, this is Habakkuk 2.2, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. He's called Habakkuk to record this on tablets. Uh, not, not, on, not on parchment. Whoop, ink, tablets that will be preserved and keep, that can be read for the ages. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. Which sounds contradictory in language, but what he's saying is you wait, and when it happens, it's going to happen in a hurry. When it comes, it's coming like a flood. Behold as for the proud one his soul is not right within him but the righteous will live by faith I, I quoted this talking about hebrews 1 this is the important thing this is the thing that he wants habakkuk a man after his heart to know that you will be you are to live by faith in me not in circumstances not in government not in uh, supervisors or bosses or any other thing apart from him. You will live by faith in me. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, which is uh, the, the netherworld of the dead, and he is like death, never satisfied, he also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all purposes. I mean, excuse me peoples. Uh, verses 2 eight through 13. "Because you have looted many nations speaking now to Babylon, all the remainder of the peoples uh, will loot you because the human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and to all its inhabitants. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Now this is, again, this is is the taunt song to Babylon. He's saying, this is what's going to happen to you. You're not going to get away with what you're doing. You're going to be able to be judged according to what you're doing. By that standard, it's going to happen to you even more. And Side note, Babylon fell in 539 539 B.C., and it fell like that. The Medes and Persians came through the wall at night. Read Daniel to find out what happened there. It was quiet and quick, and, and Babylon was no more. You have to advise the shameful thing for your house by cutting off many people so you are sinning against yourself. We don't usually think of ourselves as sinning against ourselves when we sin, do we? Isn't that a fascinating concept? You know, the whole thing about not being about me, that, that, that gets you in all kinds of trouble. Because what you do is you do things that make you actually turn it back to yourself in a bad way. When you do something apart from the will of God, You are literally sinning against yourself. You are making harm come to yourself by virtue of your actions. This nation, Babylon, is no different. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? Verse 16 through 20. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. For the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them, because of the human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. What do we worship? Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a mute stone, arise. And what is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord who is in his temple, the Lord is in his temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. God's answer was stark, it's severe. Yes, Judah is going to be judged by these people, but they're not going to get off. Oh no, God will judge them for their impetuous, evil, self-focused, self-righteous, self-uplifting, worshiping of things that are not real, that are man-made, and He will judge them. Now Habakkuk handles this in a really good way, and that's really what I want to focus on. The real important thing about this is how do you handle the unrighteous, ungodly effects of living in a time that is ungodly and righteously. We're always subject to being conflicted knowing that bad things happen to good people. Life can deal you difficult times and difficult things. We don't know, for example, that the Chinese are going to come and cart us all off. I mean, I'm just making that up, but who knows what tomorrow is going to bring for any of us? Habakkuk dealt with this this way. He had resolve to accept God's will. This is what, this is kind of stunning how it concludes. He has a prayer. Prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiganiah. Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. There's a musical notation. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand, and, and there is the hiding of his power. And he concludes with this, because he knows what's coming. Remember, this is told to Habakkuk before the Babylonians had come to the point of invading his people. How many years before we don't know exactly? But he knows it's coming now. It's not a surprise to him. This is his resolve, and this is what I want you to hold on to this morning. I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound of my and the sound of my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and my place in my place I tremble, because I must await quietly for the days of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig trees should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no fruit, though the flocks should be cut off, from the, field, from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds feet, deer's feet, subtle, able to, to manipulate on rocky, ledgy places. And He makes me walk in my high places. And then for the choir director on my stringed instruments, we're all going to sing a song. This finale to this amazing minor prophet gives us great insight into how to deal with the disturbing things of life. The same way that Habakkuk has vowed to to meet the incredible suffering which will come to his people. Yes, they were not serving their God as they should have. And as, as a person uh, working and, and living uh, as, a, as a follower of the law, uh, he knew how bad it was. And he sees the judgment coming, and although there will be no food and no clothing and no place to live and suffering will be placing, he will exalt the Lord his God in the midst of distress and suffering. Now, I'm not suggesting... Anyone here is going to experience that kind of suffering. But just so you know, that one of the worst places you can be is at the top of your game. Because guess what you think when you're at the top of your game? It's all about you. What does Babylon think about themselves? Their strength and power was in themselves. That is where you are at your worst Sometimes you're at your best and your weakest point. This is when all you have left is God. I worry about being in that place, to be honest. I don't want to be in that place. But you never know when you might find yourself in that place. And that's the message I really want to to pass on. The baton I want to pass on this morning is, no matter what you face in life, if if things are going great, thank God for them, and realize that they may not last. And if things are going badly, poorly, unspeakably poorly, praise and and worship the living God who maintains and sustains you through all suffering and will hold you to the end and into the eternal future, which all those who are in his book of life will enjoy forever. That's the important message of the book of Habakkuk. A good Man, seeking after God's heart, told a hard lesson. I, I, that's, I pray that we realize in this time and culture in which we live, in, in turmoil and an election coming, what may not turn out like you would like, that God is still there and is faithful to do what He's going to do in the fullness of His time, and it's coming. Judgment will come, as we've been studying in Revelation. And when it comes, it will not be pretty. That's an understatement. I think Ramon will testify to that.